have to have the microphone for it to record. I know. I just, I, I like put the reverb on there. Let me, let me fix it real quick. Oh, there it is. I fixed it, guys. <laughs> We're going to actually, um, I, I told this and I said this. I, I told Lauren, I said, I need you to hold off on this baby, okay? Because I really want to preach from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 20, okay? And she held it off and it was good to go. But I did not realize the extent of lack of sleep you're going to have when you have a baby. I thought y'all were joking. It was just like, oh, you, you're, you're going to take a nap here. You're going to do this. I didn't realize that a baby can poop through 15 diapers in one day. Like, this is, I mean, blew my mind. As soon as you get done feeding, it's just like, I'm like, what? So, like, stuff like that I'm learning in fatherhood. It's like, yeah, little seeds. I'm like, this is disgusting. Like, but then you love it and you just stare at it and you're like, oh, I'm like, I should take a nap right now, but I'm wide awake just staring at this baby. So, like, that's been the most exciting part about growing in fatherhood and this opportunity. And um, I appreciate um, everyone who was here last week and do the inductive teaching, um, especially of the scriptures. And I wanted to take some time to actually preach through Ephesians, the whole chapter two. Um, there's going to be some applicable things. I'm have a visual with it, so we're like we're getting hands on. But I really wanted to talk about how we are united in Christ as a whole. Um, how do we receive this grace of God? How do we receive our faith? But then how does God unite us ultimately with Him, but also with other people and other believers? So in Ephesians chapter two, it says this. I'm just going to read it all the way through, and I'm going to stutter and mess up. I'm dyslexic. Y'all just bear with me for a minute. I about had Ethan to do it, but I don't like to put him on the spot all the time. But it says this in Ephesians chapter 2, and it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is in work, and all the sons of disobedience, among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, rich in, our, rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, through Christ, through, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by, by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you at that time were separated from, from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and stranger strangers to the covenant of the province, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, whom has made us both one and has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. 
thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off of peace, those who were near, and for, for through him we both have access in one spirit, the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens of the saints and the members of the household of God. And I'm going to hold off on reading verse 20 until the end. Amen. I didn't stutter but 18 times, y'all. Give me a, I did give me a hand clap on that one. That's what I'm talking about. Rosie, pipe me up. I need that this morning. So I'm really excited to preach through this. We're going to just touch base on the sermon that I preached on um, two weeks ago in Ephesians, talking about how in Ephesians 2, 1 through verse 10, Paul is talking to the, the church of Ephesus, and he's reminding them, first off, that you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. I always have this vision that when Paul is talking to them, you can imagine they're going into the church, and it's just like, you going to hell. You going to hell. You're going to be lead minister in hell. And he's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I came to hear some Joel Osteen preaching, and you got me messed up right now. <laughs> just hitting them with the convictions. And as I was reading through this in Ephesians 1, it talks about the greatest gift we have is our salvation. And he's reminding them that you all were dead in your trespasses. You were separated from God. You all, and as individuals, were all broken. No matter who you were, Jews and Gentiles, he's specifically talking about the Jewish nation. But he's reminding them that their brokenness, because sometimes I think that when we remind about our brokenness, it can help us to value our salvation. I just remember thinking about how far away from God I was, how far away I was from where he was, but he still met me when I took a time to commit to him. We're never too far off from God to be able to live for him. If we make that first step to be able to walk towards him and realize that the wall of separation of our sins keeps us away from God, but he has brought us a way to be reconciled back to God. Jesus Christ had mended us. We were all broken pieces, all broken parts of this puzzle that we have in life. But Jesus Christ stepped in and he mended us all together as broken pieces. And he reminds us that through grace we have been saved. It's not of our own works. It's not of my own doing. It's nothing that I can do of my, myself. I can go out and I can plan after school programs and plant churches. But no matter what, as a pastor of a church, I still needed Jesus Christ to mend me and bring me back into right standing with God. When I realize that my life, no matter how good I am, good is a subjective thing, without Jesus Christ is still being separated from God, it makes me think of how much more he loved us and he cared about us. There are two aspects to this that we see in verses 4 and verses 7. It reminds us that the good news is that we have redemption from sin because God has holy anger against sin, but he also has merciful love towards the sinners. He has holy anger towards sin. He cannot be there with sin, but he has so much more merciful love for the sinners. And God has not just given us grace, but he gives us honor through all this. He reminds us that not only does he save us from the sin and the damnation of hell, but he then puts us onto a heavenly seated places with him so we can actually co-labor with him. So our lives aren't just to say, hey, I receive this salvation and I go to church and I sit in the pew. But it's also saying that I want you to co-labor with me because I'm giving you honor. I'm speaking life unto you. And my favorite, favorite verse in the Bible, it talks about how in verse 10, Jesus Christ and Paul's teaching him, he says that 
It says, for the, you are God's workmanship. Uh, the New Living Translation actually says that you were God's masterpiece. You were God's masterpiece. Think about that. All of chapter 1 and chapter 2, he talks about the sin. He talks about the, the, the things that separate us from God. And then he focuses on the fact that Jesus Christ, through his blood, has redeemed us. And he makes us holy. And he puts us in a place of honor. And then he tells us we are God's masterpieces. I've always had this visual that when I think about reading through this, I, I, I have a little, I'm a little, I got my stuff over here. I'm going to grab this bad boy. I'm going to bring it up to my table. I like stained glass. And I have a visual that will kind of work with this. I always have this visual when it talks about how we are God's masterpiece, how I think about broken stained glass. And I think about how glass itself, when you put it together, okay, it's not going to work. I'm just going to put this bad boy over here. When the glass itself when you have it, it's beautiful and it's all assembled together. Like you have this big piece of red glass, this big piece of blue glass, whatever calls it is. You have all these pieces. And when sin entered into the equation, we were broken. We're broken off from being close to God. And we have all these different people. We have all these different pieces of all this brokenness. But it doesn't devalue in my mindset that it's still beautiful glass after God has mended it together. So what we see here is through all this is that we're broken pieces, but God still says you're a part of my masterpiece because you know what I can do with these broken pieces? I can still put them together and make a beautiful mosaic. I can take what God has given unto me. I can take how God has given me his salvation, and I can take that and understand that I am still valued and I am brought back together into covenant relationship with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. But we got to Remember, we're human. As I've been united back to God, we have to remember that there's still the flesh that's involved. I, I, I love that I've received salvation, and I tell people all the time, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have issues. You're going to have to overcome things in life. And what happens is this, is that I, I, I think that we get so caught up in understanding that we've received personal salvation, that sometimes we can put ourselves up on a pedestal and we can look at ourselves as better than other people. It's just a natural thing that happens. In ministry as a pastor, sometimes I, I tell people, I said, don't call me reverend because I know myself, I get big-headed. I can walk around and be like, I'm Reverend Farmer. I tell people, like, don't call me reverend. I'm, I'm Michael Farmer. I just, I live on the west side. I got a house. I have a baby. I got a kid. Just call me Michael Farmer. Because I don't want my title to define who I am. I don't want my title to take away from the fruit that I'm producing because I get so caught up in who you think I am. But I forget my affirmation in Christ is that he loved me enough to give me eternal salvation. If I never preach a day in my life ever again, it's the understanding that his salvation is enough for me. And I can love and live off of that. Sometimes what we do is um, we start to devalue other people based off of their scars and their brokenness. I think it's real easy. We, we can look at, well, I did, I used to smoke weed, but this person did meth. <laughs> we do stuff like that. And it's, it's not that hard. We look at this person, oh, well, I, I, I was in a bad relationship, but this person was an adulteress. We, we start to get into other people's business, and we start to devalue them because we don't see them from the same aspect as Christ has seen us as we are all broken people. Listen, I don't care what your lifestyle was. I don't care where you're at. We were all broken people that needed Jesus Christ. And nobody in this world can put us above anybody else because God is no respecters of men. So we should not put ourselves in pedestals above other people. 
So when we read through the scripture, I start to think about this. And I was praying the other night. I said, we, we don't devalue Jesus Christ because of the scars that he had from the cross. None of us devalue Jesus Christ because of the scars of sin that he had to take on. When he took the cross, he had to take it, and he was put up for the place where his hands and his feet had scars in them, and he was also cut on his side. So when the disciples saw Jesus cross, Christ, they did not devalue him for the fact that he had to go through some stuff to overcome sin for all people in this world. So why do we look at other people in life and devalue them because of the scars and the things that they may carry in life? If we don't devalue Jesus Christ and the work that he had to do, to bring us personal salvation in his heavenly body because he still has scars. Why do we devalue other people when we see them on earth and we know that they've gone through certain situations in life? I, it mind boggles me because we don't see each other as God's perfect workmanship. The world around us wants us to put down each other. It's just a natural thing. It's 2020, y'all. We have in presidential elections. People out here devaluing other people because of political parties and affiliations to the point where they don't even remember that they're human. To the point where we devalue other people because we don't truly understand our own unity in Christ. What we see here is we see a transition now in verse 11. When Jesus Christ starts to talk about, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ, when Paul starts to teach to them, he says to them, hey, it's shifting here. Therefore, remember at one time, you Gentiles who were in the flesh, the people who were far away from God and not in the covenantal relationship with God, you were far away from God. You didn't have access to God. See, in the Old Testament, God had made a covenant with Abraham, and through his lineage, the Jewish culture came in, and they were supposed to be the people to bring people to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ was going to be and transform the nations. So in the law, there were certain things that they were said, hey, you can't be around these people because you'll be unceremonially clean. It was to keep the Jewish nation on the same values as God had for them to live so they wouldn't be unpurified. Somewhere around this line, the human side came in and they started to devalue those who were Gentiles. They would look at them as less than people. They would look at them and call them dogs. The reason that the story about the Good Samaritan is such a significant thing is because you wouldn't find a Samaritan and a Jewish person ever associating with each other because it would be like being like in the civil rights era and you would find a KKK member actually helping out a black person on the side of the road in Alabama. That's the equivalency that I could think of to be able to say, or it would be like a Jewish person going and out and going in the Holocaust and helping out a German person who was persecuting them. This, when we talk about this division that was going on between the Jews and the Gentiles, it was such a divide that the Bible is saying only Jesus Christ could unite these people together. He said, listen, I've united you with me and God in relationship. You've got this brokenness, and I've mended you back in relationship with me. But now you've got to understand that as a church, as I'm making one new man, no longer Jew, no longer Gentile, I'm making one new man, that I'm saying that my body is going to be diverse my body is going to value those in the world who may be assumed as being less than by a world standard. My body is going to be able to separate the wall of division 
that was in there from the law, and I want my body to be put into a right covenant relationship and to break down these walls of personal divisions only by the blood of Jesus Christ can we do so. So it's like this, is that we, we got our, our stained glasses here. What, what we try to do in church is this, is that we get our stained glasses and you got all these different colors, you got all these different fixtures, you have all these different pieces that are in here. And what we kind of do, I think we've heard this before, Lecrae said it the best, he said the most segregated time during the week is what? Sunday service. So what we do is that we're, we're all broken people, right? Jews and Gentiles, you have all these broken pieces. And what we kind of start to do is we say, well, listen, you're this broken piece right here. I'm going to get with all my green broken pieces real quick. Uh, or uh, maybe I'm, I'm going to get with all my Baptist broken pieces real quick, right? Because we, we all know that. I'm getting with my Church of Christ broken pieces. We find a way to look at what unites us, which is Christ, but then we also look and see what divides us. In the church, in the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying we are all unified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why are we focusing on something that is not going to continue to divide us anymore? We don't have to be divided anymore. But what happens is our humanistic flesh comes in and we start to say, well, you know what? Listen, I'm broken just the same way this person is broken. So I'm going to be associated with them. I think I'm better with them because I'm a blue piece of broken glass as opposed to being the red piece of broken glass. Or I'm the green piece of broken glass. And we start to look at our associations and our affiliations and we separate ourselves out. There is nothing wrong with, I believe, denominationalism, but when you start to put yourself into a position where it keeps you from fellowshipping and loving with your brothers and sisters in Christ, then there's an issue. Paul is saying to his Jewish brothers and sisters, he's saying, hey, listen, you have been broken as, as anybody else is, and we all need Jesus Christ, and we are all brought together by the blood of Jesus Christ. No matter what your race, creed, color, or culture. I'm looking at you specifically in the Bible teaching. He's saying this. He's saying Jews and Gentiles, you all were separated by the law that was put into place. But he's saying Jesus Christ has broken down that wall now. So you no longer have to live in this way. But why is it that in 2020 we still live in a place of separation and divisions? We separate our churches, we separate our denominations, we separate our cultures, our colors, our creeds, we separate all these things out. When God sees value in us living in unity as one body in Christ, there's a couple of things I've thought about this and, and understanding that, you know, biblically, this would be a brand new teaching for them because the law did separate them, but it shouldn't have um, devalued them. The Jews shouldn't have devalued the other people shouldn't have devalued the Gentiles or the Greeks because of their covenant relationship. I would hope that they would remember their own personal salvation and that it would motivate them to want to also bring other people into the covenant relationship. This is something that should be celebrated, that all of us can have knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, but it's not. We try to monopolize it. Many times what we start to do is, and when we see even in modern culture and modern day, is that we let the divisions continue to encourage us to be separated. We're not united. We don't celebrate each other. I'm guilty of this also. I think sometimes, why don't I celebrate my brothers and sisters in Christ and other big churches who are doing work in our community? But I get jealous and I let my flesh come into play. 
Because y'all know, listen, it's, it's easy to say, I'm going to support my brother and sister and say, I love you, I'm going to pray for you. But secretly in our heart, we got that flesh that be jumping in. I'm, I'm jealous of my brother and sister that got the brand new car when I should celebrate with them. Oh, y'all know how that feels like right in here. Oh, I'm so happy for you, Susan. You hear them with the smile. Y'all know what it's like. You know, just real life situations. I go to work and I, I've got this great job. I'm blessed that this week I've just, I cried. I was holding my baby. I cried sometimes. I was just in my house. And I'm thinking, I'm like, I got two daughters. I have a house. I have a job where I can take off some time from work. I have insurance. I had to think about it. And I just, even I got overwhelmed thinking about the church. I said, I don't have to be there on Sunday because the church can manage it. And I started to think about how blessed I was. But the flesh crept in also. And it starts to make me think about everybody else out there and what I don't have and what divides us. And that's what happens is we let the flesh continue to jump into our individual relationships. And I, I think as we're talking about the unity that we should have in Christ, if we let the flesh jump into our personal relationship with God, it's going to separate us and cause immunity between us and God. So no different than if we allow the flesh to jump into our individual relationships, it's going to hinder us also from having relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we start to let things like race, creed, color, culture, skin, beliefs separate us. Listen, the, the Baptist faith message, I love what it says. I'm going to skip ahead and just read this to you all real quick. The Baptist faith message says this, only grace of God can bring man into, the holy, into holy fellowship and enable him to fulfill the creative purpose of God. It says the sacredness of human personality is evident in that God created man in his image and in that Christ died for man, therefore every person of every race and culture possesses full dignity and is worthy of respect of Christian love. Y'all, we believers. But when we walk out of here, we don't associate. No different than that was going on in the church of Ephesus with the Jews and the Gentiles. I, I have this theory. I'm not a doctor yet, so this is just the theory. If it's wrong, don't quote me and tweet me. Y'all can be like, someone's going to come after me and be like, you was 100% wrong. But I have this theory as to why there is still a separation within the church and within believers and such. This is just my theory. This is just my thought, reading and praying through this and stuff like that. If it's good, don't steal my dissertation. All right, don't be stealing my stuff. Sam, I see you taking notes like you about to tweet this. Don't do that. All right, just, okay, just tag me on there, <laughs> Reverend Farmer. But I have this thought that, the reason I believe that there is a separation within the church and its people is because that people settle for idolizing God as opposed to worshiping God. We, we like the idea of God. We like the idea of this omnipotent power who is on my team and he's on my side, right? I, I make God into my own image. Jesus Christ looks like me. He talks like me. He acts like me. And he would respond like me also in this moment in time because I have righteous anger about this situation, right? Well, because when I idolize God as opposed to worshiping God, when I idolize God, I can create him into whatever image I want him to be, even in accordance with the sin and the flesh that is happening in my life. When I have unchecked sin in my life and I have unchecked things that are going on in my flesh, I then contort God and Jesus Christ into my image to justify the lifestyle that I'm living. It's not just in the sin that you may be living in, but in the thoughts that you have. 
it reminds me of in the beginning in Ephesians, Paul reminds them. I had to think, I said, why does Paul remind them at the beginning of this chapter that they all sinners and heathens and that they all going to go to hell without Jesus Christ? I was like, it's like Paul, why you got to put people down? It's Sunday morning service. I want to feel uplifted. I need that Joel Osteen. I need that big tithe and offering. Who got something for me right now? There's a millionaire in the crowd. I feel it right now in my spirit. I need that when I come on Sunday. But it reminds us that Paul is saying you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world. Following the course of the world and the prince of the air. It's reminded so many times in the Bible that Satan is around the corner and he is lurking like a lion and he is ready to pounce on those in which he can. Meaning that if we don't guard ourselves, if we don't check ourselves, he is going to devour us. If we're not strong in our faith, because it doesn't just help us to have grace, we must continue in our faith. And as we go through the book of Ephesians, it tells us how do we continue in faith so we can be strong as Christians. So when he reminded them that, I think it's also the thought that we have to worship God in spirit and in truth. Perfect example is in the story in the Bible from John chapter 4. When Jesus goes into the town of Samaria and the Samaritan woman came out, you would have no association. Jesus Christ is a Jew. That's a Samaritan woman. You would not associate or talk or have any kind of relationship, especially a male to a female at the time. And Jesus Christ, as the woman comes to get water from the well, he doesn't care about her association. He values her for who she is, not valuing her by the standards of the world around her, but who she is and who God has called her to be in that moment in time. He values her. He speaks to her. He speaks revelation to her. And because of that, she is brought into personal salvation. But she says something in there as she's talking about worshiping God. She says that when we're worshiping God, it's going to be up on the temple. And Jesus Christ says, there's going to be a time, Eli, Bennett, you hear me? Are you giving me an amen back there, brother? Amen. I need that. There's going to be a time when we have got to worship God in spirit and in truth. In our spirit, submitting ourselves to God, but in the truth of what the gospel says also. We have the written word that guides our life every single day and teaches us. So when I worship God, what I'm doing is I'm submitting my will to God as opposed to idolizing God. I'm not contorting what I want God to be to fit my image of who he is, but I'm saying, God, I believe what you have for me is better. So I worship and I bow down and I give myself to you fully. So these thoughts that I may have about other people, creeds, cultures, and colors, God, Holy Spirit, help me to be changed in all aspects of my life so I can honor and value those who are deserving of Christ-like love. Uh, you, you don't have to agree with someone's lifestyle or who they are, but you should love them the same way that Christ has loved them and called them to be because it's the goodness of God that brings a man into repentance, not your spewing of hatred. Paul is saying it's more of a detriment for the Jewish believers to continue to spew division and hate when they should be showing love to their Gentile brothers and sisters who are far away from God. Because you know why? We're all broken pieces. We're all in need of a Savior. We're all in need of Jesus Christ to bring us together and to form us into this masterpiece that God has brought us into being. God has called us to live in biblical unity together 
So what does it look like as, as we're growing together, as we're learning to live in Christian and Christ-like relationship? Tommy, can you help me out here real quick? I need you to help out, Tommy. I got a, I got a visual. If this sucks and something breaks, I'm sorry. Okay, sometimes I forget we're on Facebook Live and stuff like that. You can help me by moving the camera this way. You can be the cameraman. So this is my, this is my little ghetto depiction of my, my biblical masterpiece that we're making right now. Tommy's going to help me out with this. We're going to lean it back just a little bit. So we have these pieces, all of these broken pieces, right? This represents who we all are in Christ. You've got some purple, you got some green, you got some red, you got some blue, you got some black, you got some white, you got some Puerto Rican, you got some Asian, all of these people, everything. But in God's masterpiece, what happens when we start to unite ourselves together is that we can make something beautiful because we are God's workmanship. And it takes just a little bit of God's grace and God's glue to put us together. All right? I had a hot glue gun and then I lost the glue. So y'all just have to bear with me and stuff like that. We're just going to work it out. We're going to work this mosaic together. I really would like at the end of service for each and every one of us to come up and put a piece on the mosaic. We're going to make it. Yes, you can. You, you, you can do a piece, kid, whose name I can't say on the camera, stuff like that. So what it looks like is this, is that when, when we submit ourselves to God in a biblical relationship with God, what happens is that Christ's blood bonds us to him. But also in this body of believers, we start to make something new. Ethan, help me out here. There's too much glue. You can stay in the pier and stuff like that. You can't block the camera, though. <laughs> so what happens is that we start to bond and bind ourselves together into this beautiful mosaic of believers. So what it kind of looks like is that maybe you've got a little piece here. My, my brothers and sisters who were in fellowship with Jesus Christ, my Presbyterian brothers and sisters, my, my Baptist. Oh, that's a lot of glue. <laughs> This is, this is the person who needs extra grace. <laughs> this is that person whose life is like, it's like Jesus, they have to alter every weekend. Like, just pour some extra grace on me right now. This is what, what, what it looks like. We start to build together a beautiful mosaic of what God's kingdom can look like. Brothers and sisters who come, I'm going to let you, you can hold that one and hold the glue on top of that one. Okay, you train me out then. Just put a little glue on here. When we start to value each other, it's not looking at what divides us. But it looks at what can I bring to the table that's going to build this body of Christ together. And it's going to be beautiful. I, I need David Harvey because he's got like all these kids. He's going to teach me to be a father in this body of Christ that I have. I need Latoya because she's more patient than anybody that I know because she's got like all these kids. And I just see her just be chill mode with the energy drink sometimes. I'm like, you, you my family. We, we are part of this body of Christ that we need to have to come together. I, I need Megan and Tommy to keep me grounded and to help with worship and to bring biblical knowledge to what we're doing here. And as you can see, it starts to look like this beautiful masterpiece. It's, it, it was, I think it may look all right and stuff like that. I couldn't imagine if I just put all the blue here and all the red here and all the green here. No, it becomes a beautiful mosaic. Why? Because we are submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ and God, and we are going to value each other in the vision and who God has called us to be. I love diversity, y'all. I, I tell people all the time, I say, I love West Virginia. I love living on the West Side. Let's just be real with you and stuff like that because I'm like, there's other black people here. Let's just be real. <laughs> I love the West Side. I love our diversity. I love our community. And this is going to be our masterpiece that we put together that represents the West Side. You got people who are high end, maybe living up on Edgewood Summit, who love and believe in Jesus Christ. 
You got people who live down here on the block, may have hustled the whole life. They are still a part of God's workmanship and masterpiece when we come together with Christ. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. You can, you can just we'll sling it on there. Thank you, Ethan. You can, you can put the piece up there. Thank you. Can you throw that away for me? As we're ending here, because I, I went long-winded, and I can go long-winded because I didn't preach last week, so let me, just, let, me just, let me just have my moment here and stuff like that. When we start to get to a place where we honor each other and value each other in the eyes of Jesus Christ, we can start to see the body of Christ truly come together for who God has meant us to be. We are one body with Jesus Christ. One body with Jesus Christ. No more Jew and Gentile, but it's the remembering, Aaron, that only Jesus Christ can unite us in our faith. Only Jesus Christ can bring us together in holy relationship, meek. Only Jesus Christ can help us to honor those who the world may deem as unvaluable and help us to overcome the sin in our lives that may feel like it's impossible. But I believe it starts with us remembering where we were in our lives. None of us are better than any other. We're all broken pieces that need to be mended together, and it's only by God's grace that we can do so. Paul finishes off as he says here in verses 16, he says, he reminds us that we are all reconciled together. It's, it's the thought, actually, that how do we live a life that promotes and shows bringing Christ peace? It, it's easy to say we should all have peace with each other, right? It's easy to say, oh, we should all have peace with each other. Oh, we should all live in harmony. We should all be together and stuff like that. But when we are in a place of hostility, how do we show the grace and love to other people? It's a matter of listening to this, what the scripture says here. It says in verse 16 that, I'm sorry, yeah, in verse 16 it says, and might reconcile us both to God as in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And it says here in verse 17, and he came and he preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. It says, for, um, it says, for th through him, we both have access to one spirit, the Father, and we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are in fellowship and citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Jesus Christ came and he showed peace and he preached peace. He preached the peace of understanding that all people, no matter where you are, race, creed, color, or culture, are deserving of honor and value and also have access to God. That's the peace of the gospel that transcends any understanding that we could ever have. And he continues on, he says this. He reminds us in verses 20, 21, and 22 that we are built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. So in this house and in this world that we are building, this is our little mosaic that we have of our church, little risen city and stuff like that. It's going to be a window in the building and in the house that God is constructing. And that Christ is our cornerstone, and we're building that among that. And it says here that Christ is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being to pull, joined together, grows, and holy, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also were built together into a dwelling place for God's Holy Spirit. As we are growing, His Spirit is going to live in us and it's going to help us to be able to preach peace to those who are far away. 
Peace means this, that when you see someone who maybe is struggling with addiction, you don't put them down because you understand that you are also a broken person. That their addiction doesn't define who they are, but they are valued through Jesus Christ. When you find someone who just may be struggling with depression or anxiety or stresses, we don't put that person down, but we pray for them and we believe that we can bring peace into their situation. When you find someone who just feels broken, you just feel as though they're not worthwhile, we bring peace to their situation by speaking life to them as opposing them and bringing darkness and negativity. Amen? Amen. We're going to let Tommy finish this up for us, and then we'll be dismissed out from service.